So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the words concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which was just as they had been told. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we just um, pause for a moment and just think about that story? So just, just close your eyes and think about shepherds, think about Christmas carols, think about what that story brings to mind for you. Lord, this is a time of familiar songs and familiar stories and we pray, Lord, that you will refresh this story in our minds and in our hearts that you will speak to us anew this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. So, shepherds. So we are, um, as you may have sort of spotted, uh, Carl has very cunningly uh, sort of uh, created a sermon series based around um, Christmas carols and uh, words therefrom. The angel of the Lord came down and glory shone around. Um, Most of you will probably know that line from the famous laundry song that small children sing at this time of year about shepherds washing their socks. Um, but um, I'm not going to be uh, I'm not going to be talking about the, the shepherds and their socks. Um, but um, that's usually uh, what happens with this particular song that it gets sort of perverted by primary school children, much like the other one actually that we heard uh, yesterday when uh, Sue and I were visiting um, one of our youngsters, and uh, and we heard the song about the most highly flavoured gravy as well, which is another Christmas favourite of mine. But um, that's for another time. Um, so. This is, this is an unusual story. Um, we've had quite a lot of angels, a lot of angels around at Christmas, but generally speaking, they're appearing sort of in, in ones, and usually it's Gabriel. It seems to be sort of uh, stealing all the, all the limelight, but it, it tends to be a very private occasion. You think about Mary, you think about Elizabeth, you think about Joseph, you think about Zechariah. They all had encounters uh, with angels, but it was very much a personal thing. They then had to tell people what had happened. This is rather obviously rather different. So I guess there were two questions that occurred to me as I was, I was looking at this. So if we have the next um, slide. Um, why did the angels appear? You know, why, why so many of them? And why did they appear where they did? Why didn't they appear where the action actually was, which obviously was in the stable where God was being born as a human? Um, And that Hark the Angels, uh, Hark the Herald Angels song, the Godhead 
becoming flesh, becoming a person. It's the most extraordinary thing was going on and the angels were in the wrong place. So I think there's something to think about there. Why were they there and not where Jesus was being born? And, and why shepherds? This is the most extraordinary moment in human history. It's literally the focal point of everything that God has been working towards since uh, creation went wrong. And the shepherds, again, they're out in the fields and the angels are meeting them there. Why didn't the angels go to Herod, who was in charge of this country? Why didn't the angels go to the chief priest, who was in charge of the spiritual well-being of the chosen nation, the chosen people? Or indeed, why didn't the angels go to the whole city of Jerusalem, the holy city, to tell all of those people gathered there at that stage that God had become human, the saviour had been born. They seem to be sort of missing a trick. Well, um, there are a number of possible explanations, and one of which is a superhero movie script, which I'll talk you through. It's not sort of quite in the Bible, but you can sort of see it coming through. Um, and the other one I'll come back to in a minute, what um, uh, I've heard referred to as the god of the marketplace, um, but let's think about that in a minute. Think about the superhero movie script um, for, um, for a moment. So if we have the next slide. So let's just think about, uh, try, and, try and imagine that you're sitting down for a Christmas movie now, okay? So it's no longer Christmas carols and stuff. You've had the turkey and you're sitting down. It's the sort of the afternoon of Christmas Day. And if you're like me, you like to watch a movie with lots of things blowing up, huge amounts of CGI, a script that's good enough to link the CGI together and it all ends happily ever after with the hero sort of winning and the baddie, the baddie who is usually bigger than a planet, of course, and is called something strange that sounds slightly like Astrogoth or something unpronounceable, uh, the baddie getting blown to smithereens and bits of sort of coal dust scattering across the universe and then the heroes sort of sailing off in their spaceship. That's the sort of movie I like. Um, not necessarily uh, always what goes down totally well as sort of family consent movie, so the other ones that we have been watching at the moment, we are going through the Netflix pantheon of Christmas Prince movies. Um, you'll, you'll guess sort of where the majority opinion is coming from in that sense, but uh, we're working our way through, so I'm learning a lot. Maybe next sermon we'll have a Christmas Prince uh, analogy, but for now I'm sticking firmly to the superhero movie. So let's get our superhero movie hats on. So at the start of the movie, it's a beautiful scene. It's a wonderful, wonderful countryside. Birds are singing. Plants are looking amazing. The sun is just rising. It looks absolutely extraordinary. It's the most beautiful garden you can possibly imagine. God has just created the universe. And Genesis 1 and 2, God makes everything and Everything is good. It's astounding. It's beautiful. It's perfect. It's very much not like now. It's extraordinary. So the best CGI, beautiful place that Hollywood can think of. Think sort of, you know, Avatar combined with um, Sound of Music combined with all sorts of other things. That's the Garden of Eden. And then, of course, um, God 
Well, we can't say it was a mistake because God did it. God created humanity and he gave us free will. He gave us the ability to choose. And as Genesis 3 describes it, we decided to seize control. I promised myself I wouldn't get too political, but that is a phrase that is very much uh, in the media at the moment. Seizing control is a brilliant thing, isn't it? It's always presented as seizing control, taking control of my life. It's mine. It's my destiny. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be in charge. That's the current zeitgeist. That's the current theme that threads right the way through so much of modern culture. It's about me and my destiny and what I believe is true and about me being in charge. Well, that started all the way back then. That's what Genesis 3 is about. It's about humanity going, no, God, my turn, my life. I'm going to do this. And, of course, in doing that, as Genesis 3 describes, we broke that perfect relationship with God. And in some extraordinary way that Genesis 3 doesn't really explain, and I'm not sure theologians have really got to the bottom of it, but our choosing to reject God and worship ourselves broke God's perfect creation. Something happened then that destroyed the goodness and the perfection. And evil came into the universe. Our fault. That's what humanity did. And again, you can spend, well, you could probably spend your whole life trying to sort of understand exactly sort of who Satan is and, and, and how all of that works. But suffice it to say that Satan was given his opportunity by our free choice. And war was declared. It says very clearly in the Bible that Satan is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for whom he may devour, for who he can capture and take hostage, take prisoner. And that all started back then because we chose to say, no God, not you, I want to worship me left God with a choice. He could destroy the whole thing and start again, or he could try to heal and restore his beautiful creation. Now, fortunately for us, God chose the latter path, but that had an enormous price, a huge cost for God, because God can't stop being God. God can't stop being perfect. God can't stop literally abhorring sin, literally not being able to be with sin. If God takes on board sin, God ceases to be God. God ceases to be good. God ceases to be perfect. So God's very character has to reject sin. But of course that means that God's very character has to reject what we have chosen. That's a tough divide to bridge. And of course, that's what the Christmas story is all about. The Christmas story is all about this extraordinary plan to heal that rift, to bring us back into relationship with a perfect God who otherwise could not tolerate us.
And actually, we would be destroyed if we faced God in our sinfulness because suddenly we would see what we were really like and it would kill us forever. So God had to find a way of doing it, but he had to find a way of doing it in a situation where there was a war going on. It's not a peaceful world out there. You can see that. You can see that very obviously right now on our TV screens, in our political discussions. It's not a peaceful world. It's a broken world. It's a world where evil triumphs too often. And God had to find a way of coming into that world and coming into that world in a way which did not destroy humanity by taking away our choice. That's the key. God wants us to choose him. He's not going to make us good. He's not going to make us have a relationship with him. So there's a war going on. Back to the superhero movie. You can imagine shells flying around, lasers, bombs going off, all sorts of chaos and horror and disaster. And somehow God has to come into that and begin to bring peace. It's like having a really, really bad family Christmas argument and somebody wants to bring peace. It's really difficult. How do you do that when the plates are flying around and somebody's beating somebody else with a turkey? Stuffing is being used in a really inappropriate way. Revelation. Now, Revelation is an interesting book. I always think that it's one of those books where when you turn your Bible to the Revelation, you ought to come across a big page with black and yellow stripes across it that says, Warning, Revelation. And as you open your Bible, these sort of yellow lights should start to spin and the sirens go off. Revelation alert. Again, a bit like a superhero movie when the strange stuff is being brought out of the safe. And all the sirens are going off and the people are putting on their hazmat suits and their sort of lead gloves. So, Revelation alert. I'm going to talk briefly about Revelation. You have been warned. Revelation, remember, is the book that was written by John on the island of Patmos. Um, Who knows quite what he'd been eating or smoking or whatever. It's an extraordinary vision and you have to read it in that sense that this is a man who's talking about what he's dreamt. He's had a vision and his head has exploded and then he's tried to write it down on the page. So you do need to be sort of get your gloves on to handle Revelation. But there are some extraordinary truths in there. And one of the bits in Revelation, again, get your superhero movie hat on because this is an easier way to sort of relate to it. It talks about a dragon and a war going on. And Revelation 12, um, verse 13, again, let's have some sort of big music, some dramatic sort of CGI effects, because you're going to see the world shifting around. When the dragon saw he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. The woman was given two wings. Superhero movie, she sprouts wings. She starts to fly. She's got superpowers. She escapes from the dragon. The woman was given two wings of a great eagle so she might fly to the propace, prepared for her in the desert where she could be taken care of for a time, times and half a time out of the serpent's reach. She's hidden in the desert and the dragon is prowling around. 
Then from the mouth of the serpent spew water like a river. CGI effects. It's like Moses and the Ten Commandments and the Red Sea is standing up. There's huge amounts of CGI being put into this. And this is just one guy sitting on our island imagining it. Think what he could have done with proper sort of Hollywood resources. Spewed water like a river to overtake the woman and sweep her away. So there she is hiding and there's this tidal wave coming down towards her. But then... CGI moment number two. The earth helped the woman by opening its mouth and swallowing the river. So she's there, this wave is coming, and suddenly it's all disappearing down a hole. What's this all about? Why is John writing this? He's trying to say, one of the ways of interpreting this Revelation um, piece is that John is saying, this is the war that was going on when Jesus was born. tiny stable in that tiny tiny village in that tiny insignificant part of the Roman Empire that's what was going on spiritually in the background there's an extraordinary conflict going on and God has got in under enemy lines and a baby has been born that's the victory moment in the superhero movie. You've crept under enemy lines. You've got enemy camp. You've planted the super bomb that's going to destroy the baddie. And then you've crept back out again, but the bomb hasn't gone off yet. It still looks like the baddies are winning. It still looks like there's chaos. And then we come to the next bit. Let's have a look at the next slide. The end of the movie. Isaiah's prophecy comes true. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And his name shall be. All those wonderful descriptions of the Saviour who has been born. And because of that baby born in that stable, in that small village, Paul is able to write... Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Because God's done it. Bang! It's happened. The victory has been won at that moment that Jesus was born. No wonder the angels are celebrating. It's like the goal in the very last minute of the cup final when it was looking like a nil-nil draw. It's gone in. Jesus has been born. It's happened. So that's the superhero movie script. This extraordinary war, this extraordinary moment when God's plan succeeds. And at that moment, everything starts to shift. And our full relationship with God becomes a genuine possibility again. But why the shepherds? If you're going to celebrate, you know, do it properly. Let's have a look at the next slide. Now, you could, you could if this was a movie script, frankly, it, you know, you'd think it was a mistake. I mean, you can just imagine the angels there, they're sort of hiding behind the sofa, ready to see if the bomb goes off. Jesus has been born. Yes! But they've been told they can't cheer yet. Because you don't want the devil to know about it. Because there's still a lot of other stuff that's got to happen. Jesus has got to grow up. 
He's got to learn carpentry. He's got to go to the temple and teach the priests. He's got to go out and do his ministry. He's got to be crucified. Otherwise, it still hasn't quite worked. And he's got to rise again. We've got 33 years to go before we can really say, this has actually worked. So don't give the game away yet. So if this was a movie script, you'd have some rather inept angel going, yeah! Or in fact, it's a whole crowd of them, of course. And Gabriel's going, shush, shush, shush. But at least they were just the shepherds. But of course, this isn't a movie script where you've got inept angels making a mistake and sort of bursting into song near some shepherds and then hoping they got away with it. God's in charge. This is all part of his plan. Now, we, we could spend an enormous amount of time really thinking about the shepherds and we don't have an enormous amount of time so I'm not going to but as you hear about the shepherds over the course of this Christmas think of a few of these points Jesus in Matthew 20 says the last shall be first shepherds were um, pretty sort of low caste, if you like. Uh, the Jews didn't have the concept of sort of caste like uh, the Hindus do, for example. But they had, like we do, a great ability to look down on the lower orders. And um, shepherds were definitely the lower orders. They lived out in the fields most of the time. Uh, they probably didn't have access to sort of showers and soap and things like that. Uh, they had lots of access to smelly sheep and the stuff that sheep produce in the fields. And it was cold and it was probably wet and they were wearing sheepskin. So if you imagine yourself dressed up in lots of sheepskin, very wet, covered in a certain amount of mud and other stuff that sheep have produced, and you've been doing that for weeks in the fields, you're not, you're not really sort of Sunday lunch company. So the first should be last. The angels are appearing to the shepherds because that's God's order. God wants the last to be first. God wants everybody to understand that you and I, we are the most important people to God. Every time, we're the most important people. And God is meeting us where we are. This is the God of the marketplace concept. God is not a God of church. God is not a God of hymns or choruses. God is not a God of Bible readings, God is a God who meets humanity, who meets real people where they really are, in their real situations, in a field, wearing sheepskin, covered in sheep poo, really tired, very cold, not feeling like you're particularly loved by the rest of society, and God comes to them. So if this Christmas you actually feel more like a shepherd than a, a magi or just somebody with a good amount of turkey inside you, then remember, God wants to meet you where you are in your current situation, not where you imagine perhaps you need to be to meet God. God is re-establishing his relationship with humanity. The angels say, fear not, <laughs> don't panic, don't worry. This is victory. You are here at the start of victory. A saviour has been born to you. 
You shepherds, right now, us, people of Slatham and Cross and Peace Pottage and Staplefield, Sussex, the UK, a saviour has been born to us. So, what does this mean for us? Let's have a look quickly at the last slide. The key thing, really, to take away from Christmas is that God has won. I think it's, it's terribly easy a lot of the time to feel that God has lost. If I'm honest, I look around, I see the things happening in the world, and it, it's very easy to get depressed. It's very easy to think, you know, just, God, God, where are you? Read the psalmists. It's not a modern concept. The where are you, God, psalms are very visceral and very real. But actually, God has won. God has won. Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection has healed the rift that we caused by our desire for control. But God leaves us with free choice. So we still have to look for him. So what did the shepherds do? They didn't just sit there admiring this, the sort of the sky show. Wow, look at that. Oh, look, there goes another angel. Oh, look at that one. They went to Bethlehem. They went to find the saviour of the world. But they had to leave what they were doing. They had to leave behind the distractions of the sheep and their daily lives. And they had to turn to God. And that's an incredibly important message for us over Christmas. Christmas is a really busy time. It can be huge amounts of fun. It can be a lot of stress. It can be quite difficult, all depending on your family and your situation. But what God wants us to do is to turn away from all of that and turn to him. And he met the shepherds where they were, but he does want us to change. And they changed. Look at what they did. They came back. They weren't doing that before. They weren't glorifying and praising God. They were probably cursing sheep or playing dice or sleeping or who knows. But afterwards, they were changed. Glorifying and praising God. And what else did they do? They spread the word. They went round talking to their neighbours, knocking on doors, meeting people in the pub. God wants us to spread the word. We have proper good news. We have a story which is true. We have a tale of victory, but not in a superhero movie sense of some sword-wielding, laser-firing knee-pad-wearing superhero with strange armour on. We have a victory of a baby, a helpless, helpless baby. But the moment that baby was born, God, in all his glory and mightiness, became a human. And 33 years later, as a human, he died for us so that we don't need to and he rose again 
as proof that our relationship with God is sealed and held by God if we want it to be. So that's our choice, and that's the choice for our families, for our neighbours, for our friends, for those we work with. So that's the, the shepherd's message, I think, that I would encourage you to take away. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, whatever your situation this Christmas, God is there, but you have to look for him, and you have to turn towards him, and you have to be prepared to reach out and hold his hand and then see what happens. Let's pray. Father God, we sing about listening for the angels. Hark, the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Father, we want that newborn king in our lives and we pray that this Christmas you will make that a reality for us for those we love and for those we should love. In Jesus' name, amen.